Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to open up in a word of prayer just to bring our morning message to God by praying. So let's make our way back to our seats and let's bow our heads together. Father God in heaven, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your loving kindness in our lives, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, just for being here with us by the power of your spirit even now. And Lord, um, we, we, we want to hear from you today, God. God, we delighted in just singing out to you these last songs, reminding us of the goodness of your love toward us through Jesus, who died for our sins and rose to life. God, we thank you for a communion where we uh, celebrated Jesus' broken body and shed blood, uh, broken and shed for us. And so, Lord, now we want to hear from you as I preach. God, your word is living. It's active. Hebrews 4.12 tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, we, we come with things in our hearts this morning, um, things that only you know about, things that maybe we're not even really aware of, but we know that something's going on in us. And so, Lord, I pray you would awaken us. God, I pray you would pierce these hearts, that you would soften the hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. And God, for, for any who are here trying to figure out what the Christian life is all about, may they hear from you today, God. May you move in their hearts and call them to put their faith in you. So speak through me, Lord. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and be exalted even now. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our shepherd. Amen. And church, it is good, it is good to be gathered again with you guys as we do every single week here at the Brook, every Sunday morning. We get together like this uh, because God has called those who are his followers to be a family. And we want to live life together as a family where we uh, challenge each other, where we encourage each other. Life gets hard, doesn't it? Sometimes you just want to forget about certain things and and what's beautiful is that we, we don't want to encourage you to stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's all fun and games. We want to say, hey, you know what? There's a God who's going to walk with us through it, and we're going to be a family together. And so we get together every week to sing to God, to, to pray, to learn from the Word, and to be spurred on in our faith. And so that's really what we want to do each week. And we know when we get together, there are those of us here who maybe are trying to find out what it means to be a Christian, to be part of a church. And we say often, and I mean it, is that we want this to be a safe place for you to grow with us in understanding what it means to follow Jesus. We've taken a, a brief hiatus away from the book of Mark. It's a series that we started earlier this year. And believe it or not, today is our 18th sermon in the book of Mark. Now, we've made a commitment to slowly work through this book of the Bible to learn what it means to be a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. You may be new to the book, or you might have people ask you, hey, what's... What's with you guys in these white flags? Like, what's, what's going on with this? And so one of our core values at the Brook is this idea that we call white flag worship. And it's not to say that we worship white flags, but in our worship, we raise our white flags. It is a universal sign of surrender. And in the book of Mark, Jesus tells his followers to follow me, to follow him. But in order to follow Jesus, there's got to be some dying that we've got to do to our own desires. 
There's got to be some white flag raising in our lives. And so in the book of Mark, we've chosen to work through this book because it teaches us how to raise our white flags. It teaches us who Jesus is and why we should follow him. But we also see descriptions of other followers of Jesus through their messiest of times, through the ways they failed Jesus, his disciples. And we see people in the Bible in this book of Mark who honor Jesus, who worship him, people who go unnamed in the Bible. So as we see these different stories and we see the life of Jesus, undoubtedly from week to week, we see ourselves in this story. We see ourselves maybe in our failures or in our victories of faith. We see our need for Jesus and we're drawn to him. And so today, after this summer hiatus, we're going to pick up back in the book of Mark. And I'm glad to to resume it with you guys. So we're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, we're going to take a look at today. The book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. There are Bibles in front of you in the pews if you don't have one today. If you don't own one, please take that one in front of you home. It is our gift to you. Today we're going to see the way that Jesus provides for us in our lives. You ever been confronted with something in life where you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this? You ever been confronted with a situation where you don't know where help's going to come from? And maybe you know Jesus is there for you, but you don't know what it's going to look like for him to provide, and your faith is beginning to shake and waver a bit. What I'm hoping and praying is that today we would see how God is a God of compassion who eagerly meets you in your predicament. I hope and pray that you would see how God has called you to be a tool in his hand to reach out to others and love them. You know, many of us have gone about this life broken and wandering, looking for solutions. And if we don't look to Jesus, we're going to find ourselves looking in the wrong places. You ever think about uh, those times you lose your keys in the house and you find yourself like, I lost them in the kitchen. You tear apart the kitchen only for someone to pull it out of the living room and say, are these your keys? And you're like, I've been searching diligently, but all in the wrong place. And you can look aggressively. You can be committed. But if you're looking in the wrong place, you'll never find what you're looking for. And so what God tells us is that the human heart, our longing, is to have a relationship with God. Everyone has a longing. And many people search in all kinds of places in life. And you could be as diligent as they get and as convinced, perhaps, in certain ways. But if you look in the wrong place, you will never find rest. And what Jesus does in the Bible, he calls us to come to him and find rest in him. Because he cares about us. And that's not just pie-in-the-sky kind of hope. This is a reality that Jesus loves his people. And that until we stop wandering about, we won't find rest in him. So maybe you are a Christian today, but you find yourself drifting. You're that sheep who's leaving away from the shepherd. And God's calling you back. He's calling you to see his love for you and to see that he's reaching out to you. He's a pursuer of you. And there are others of you who say, man, I'm just completely lost in life. I don't know where my answers are going to come from. Man, I want you to see him today that it comes from Jesus. He's the one who leads us and feeds us in our day-to-day lives. So that's what we find here in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. 
I'm going to read portions of it here at a time to kind of put it out in front of us. And I want us to see how Jesus reaches out to people and meets them in their predicament, reaches them and meets them in that place. It begins in verse 30 with Mark writing, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the only time Mark Mark calls them apostles. An apostle literally is a sent one, someone who's sent out in particular by Jesus. And if we back up several verses into verses 7 through 13, we see that Jesus sent out the 12 disciples in groups of two to go out in the land with a message, and the one message was to tell people to turn away from all the evil in their lives and to turn to God, to turn to Jesus, where they can find forgiveness and hope. And so here in verse 30, they're coming back to Jesus, telling them all that took place. And the disciples are reporting what happened. It says that they said um, they want to show them all that they had done and taught. And what Mark tells us is that they had healed people of diseases. They had begun to cast out demonic spirits who were empowering people's lives. They were teaching people about this good news. And Jesus tells them, you know what, this is great, but let's go rest for a while. Let's go retire to a desolate place. Man, a side note here is this. You know, sometimes we could be following Jesus and serving him so diligently that we don't realize that God tells us to rest. And, you know, even here at the Brook, we've changed our pace a little bit this summer so to allow space in our lives to rest. And Jesus says, let's go to a desolate place because people have been coming and going to them. And you know what? People can be exhausting. It can be exhausting living life together in different ways and different times. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying that's wrong to be living life with people, but he's saying it's also good to retreat sometimes to go off to a desolate place. So I want to ask you, what's a desolate place in your life where you could find rest? Maybe it's the bathroom, bedroom, or basement. You can lock that door and say, I'm free. Maybe it's your car during lunch. Maybe it's on a walk outside. Honestly, for me personally, I find my greatest rest on a prayer walk. And if I forget my phone, it's even better. And so we need these desolate places, these times in life where we're going to go out and find some rest. And so Jesus tells the disciples, let's go get some rest because they had no leisure even to eat. I mean, talk about busyness. They had a busy season of life, and Jesus says, let's get away. But what's interesting is this idea of a desolate place is a theme that we find in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a wilderness place, the place where God typically Uh, meets his people in those desolate places. And oftentimes he tests his people in those places. Jesus, after he was baptized, went out into the wilderness, a desolate place, and God met him there, but he was tested there. But also in those places, God speaks to us. And so he tells the disciples to go off to a desolate place. But you ever have those moments where you're determined to get some rest, and then something interrupts it? And you feel this kind of annoyance well up within you. You're like, look, I'm just trying to get some rest. When sometimes what I think God wants us to understand is that these are divine distractions or even holy interruptions. Sometimes there are things that break into our plan and our schedule that is not like what we expect, but it's everything God intends for us. 
And we see here in this passage something pretty amazing take place. Jesus tells his disciples, you guys need to rest. Let's go off to, into this boat and go to the other side of a, a sea. And there there's a desolate place where you can meet with God and rest. And so we find here that this is precisely what happens. In verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. But verse 33, now many, can you say many? Many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. I mean, how disappointing is that? You ever rush home from work like, oh, the family's going to get there in such and such time? I got 30 minutes to myself. And then you get there, they're they're like, oh, we got out early. You're like, oh. I mean, here the disciples are exhausted, and Jesus himself says, you get to rest now. They get on the boat, and I could probably just imagine them on the boat, and they're seeing these crowds running along the shores thinking like, are we going to turn around? You said we're going to rest, Jesus. But this was a divine distraction, a holy interruption. God had a plan. And so we need to get away at times. But don't make an idol of your leisure. Because even in the midst of it, even on vacation, God will open doors for you to make much of him. And so here the disciples, they'll get their time to rest. It'll happen, just not in this passage. They get to the other side of the shore, and there the the crowd is there. They ran on foot. You see, they saw them. They said, we don't have time to arrange transportation. Don't saddle the donkey. We got to run over there now because we want there to be there with Jesus. We want to see him. We want to take advantage of this moment. They were desperate. There were people who needed help. And what I love is how Jesus sees beyond the surface of our lives. We can put up a facade all we want. We can make it look like we've got it all together. We can smile and take pictures. But God knows our hearts. He looks us in the eye. He sees beneath the skin. And so we want you to know, man, we don't have to play games. We don't need to pretend like we're okay. God doesn't tell us to pretend because he looks at us and he sees us where we're at. So we're going to walk with each other through the thick and through the thin. And here we see in verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. We're told in verse 44, it was over 5,000 men which is how they, caught, they counted in that day, which makes us think if the women and children are with them, this could have been a crowd of ten to 20,000 people. He saw a great crowd. And then it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He had compassion on them. The word compassion means he felt something in his innermost being. There was a deep pity and mercy he felt for this crowd. I mean, just imagine Jesus saying, they're running from all across these towns to meet us. They're running. They're there on foot because they wanted an answer for life. You know, man, this is, this is us. This is our, our situation. We're, bo- we're born with a God-sized hold in our hearts. And we can fit all kinds of things. You know that kid game where you have the, the triangle and the rectangle and the square and you've got to fit the shapes in. You're teaching kids motor skills. 
Well, oftentimes we, we have this God-sized vacuum in our hearts and we're trying to squeeze in other kind of things to satisfy these longings. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. And he has compassion on us. He feels bad for us when we're turning to liquor and to alcohol to drown out our sorrows. He weeps for us when we're trying to smoke away with weed our hurts and just put it away. He grieves when we're going from one relation to to the other looking for security. God's broken when we think money's going to be our answer and then we get the money and we think we need more. See, these are all different kinds of shaped things, but they'll never get in our heart and meet us where we're at. And so Jesus has compassion from the innermost part because he sees your mess and he sees mine. He's not fooled by the facade. And he's grieved by our efforts that will bring us nowhere. This was a holy interruption. They thought it was time to rest. But Jesus says, God's got greater plans right now. You'll get your time. You'll get your rest. But is my strength enough for you? Can you look at what's going on through my eyes? And so Jesus sees them there as sheep without a shepherd. And I love this because this image of a sheep and shepherd are dominant within the Old Testament of the Bible. You see, throughout the Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, we are his. Throughout the scriptures, we see that in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 78, 52, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 80, verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Psalm 100, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Ezekiel 34, 31. You are my sheep, says the Lord, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. See, throughout scriptures, God sees us as his sheep, and the image is a beautiful one. See, Mark says he, he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. There's a simile there, using a comparison, using the words like or as, and this is how they were. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And the image is perfect because a shepherd guides sheep. Sheep aren't always the brightest kind of animals. Sheep wander away from what they know is to be, what is to be safe for them. But a good shepherd takes the sheep and brings them to feed when they're hungry corrects them when they go astray, protects them from wolves, and allows them to rest in green pastures. Jesus is a shepherd for his lost sheep. But how are we like lost sheep? It's when we turn to other things other than him. St. Augustine, a, a, a leader in the church in the 5th century, he had this Latin phrase called incurvata in terrain. Is that this curvature toward our terrain, toward ourselves. And this is the human posture from birth. We are about ourselves. And he says what we need is our posture to change where it's open to God. And this self-focused posture leads us astray because we think we know what's best for us when all together it's only about us. This is what our sin nature does. It causes us to wander further and further from God because we think we know better than God. Our hearts are rebellious toward God from our birth. 
We are in our sin, the Bible says. And we need the shepherd to lead us back. To lead us back to him. We are like lost sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus himself understands this. He understands the image in the Old Testament. And he understands how he himself is a shepherd. Even think about the parable in Luke chapter 15. Where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. There is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One goes astray and he leaves the 99 even to seek out that one that he loves and knows. And Jesus says when that shepherd comes back, he tells his friends, I found that lost sheep and wants a celebration because of it. You see, Jesus is that shepherd who sees us as lost and has compassion on us. And he's the one who pursues us. We're not the ones who decided to pursue Jesus. If you're here today and you're seeking out the Christian faith, you came today because God is pursuing you. You didn't come because you're pursuing God. And man, what a joy that is to know that this God of the universe loves you enough to put in your heart to yearn for him. If you are a child of God, that's how you're loved. He left his sheep to go after you to bring you back and to celebrate your salvation. Jesus sees this massive crowd as sheep without a shepherd. But notice what he does with them. He he doesn't say, you know, come here, let me hold you for a minute. He does that, he does that. But it says that he began to teach them, to teach them. Because Jesus understands that what God has to do is transform what we believe to understand that he's the one that we need in our lives. What did Jesus teach them? Well, Mark doesn't explicitly tell us right here. But in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, I think Mark tells us Jesus' message in a nutshell. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was Jesus' message throughout his lifetime. That was the message of the disciples when he sent them out two by two. And I believe that's the heart of what he taught this crowd. God's kingdom is now. I am the king upon a throne, and I'm going to reign in your hearts if you would turn from your sin, that's repentance, and believe in me. This is the good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. The good news is that we, though lost in our sin, have been provided a way out of the condemnation we deserve because Jesus took the wrath, the judgment that we deserved and gives us faith in life. And so Jesus taught the crowd that he had compassion upon, that he loved. And there he is with his disciples who are probably still like, Jesus, what are we doing? Can we go back in the boat? Let's get some rest. I'm tired. Well, as Jesus continues teaching here, we see in verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Well, duh, Jesus said to go here. This is a desolate place, he told them. And the hour is now late. Verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is the disciples' plan. Jesus, we said we're going to come here to rest. We're not resting. You've been teaching all day. Now it's getting late, and we've got like thousands of people in front of us who are hungry. We need to send them home so they can get some food. And I love what Jesus tells them here in verse 37. He answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? A denarii was a day's worth of wages. So 200 denarii would be 200 days 
And depending on a five to seven work, uh, work week, seven day work week, this is about eight months worth of wages. Now, they probably weren't being very literal, but they were taking Jesus quite literal. And now there's this interaction going on, and there's two very different perspectives. Jesus sees sheep he needs to feed, and they are seeing mouths they need to feed. It's a wrong perspective. And what Jesus is going to do is teach them that holy interruptions are bigger than what you often see with the naked eye. Mouths to feed and sheep to feed are two different things. Jesus met them where they're at. The disciples think they're hungry. Like, what's going to go on here? So Jesus begins to ask them, in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they have found out, they said, we have five and two fish. But surely, what's that going to do? I mean, you cut this thing up in like, you know, eighth-inch pieces, it's still not going to feed people. You stick it on your tongue and it's gone. So disciples are probably wondering, okay, why are we bringing him two fish and five loaves of bread, and we've got probably somewhere in excess of 10,000 people present. They're seeing with the naked eye, and they're missing the point here. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. He said green grass? Do you find that as an odd detail? It's like, who cares if it's green or brown? It's grass. I'll get back to that. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Sounds like communion, doesn't that? And he divided the two fish among them all. And verse 42, hear that. They all ate and were satisfied. And they look up, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Wild, huh? Two fish, five loaves of bread, 5,000 men left satisfied and full. Something took place here. Jesus did something miraculous in their midst. But you notice the crowd doesn't react to it. It didn't say, and the crowd was amazed, and they want to take him by storm and whatnot. And maybe they weren't even aware what happened. But the disciples were. They knew something had taken place. Jesus had done a miracle in their midst. What's so remarkable, the disciples' plan with this, this insurmountable obstacle was to send them away. When Jesus' plan was, take a seat. You know, man, we we get confronted with big barriers in life, things that challenge our faith. And sometimes we're saying, God, take these things away. Remove this obstacle because I see no way through it. And God's like, take a seat here. I'm going to work through this. I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my authority. Trust me here. See, when we see things through our fleshly eyes, we're like, send them away, God. We, We just want it to be done with. We, we don't want to see God work, but that's not how Jesus works. When sheep take a seat at his feet, they will eat. Jesus will feed them. And that's what Jesus does here. It's interesting how, how Mark says that Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. 
The first time that phrase is used in the Bible is in the book of Numbers. When God tells Moses to come up on a mountain, and God tells him, Moses, look out in the promised land. That's the land I'm sending my people, but you're not going there. You sinned against me. That's, this is the repercussion of your rebellion, Moses. Yeah, you repented. Yes, I love you. But you're not going into the promised land. And Moses tells God, he says, God, then who will lead your people lest they become as sheep without a shepherd? And God says, I'm raising up Joshua, the son of Nun, to lead my people into the promised land where they will find rest. And here we see Mark giving us this image that Jesus, who is even greater than Joshua, will lead his people into the promised land to give them rest. It became crystal clear throughout the Old Testament that the people of Israel, when they got into the promised land, it was great, but this wasn't true rest. Yes, they had houses. Yes, they ate food. Yes, this was their property. Yes, they loved it in Israel, but they realized this isn't the kind of rest that we long for. There's going to be a greater rest still to come, and in order for there to be a greater rest, there's got to be a greater leader to lead them into rest. Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd, but he says, I'm greater than Joshua. I will lead my people into the promised land. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus had them sit down in the green grass to show that he is the shepherd. And he satisfied their soul. And yes, goodness and mercy would follow them all the days of their life, as Psalm 23 says, because there is one who has mercy on them, compassion on the crowds. Jesus is the one who satisfies their soul for his name's sake. He is the good shepherd. But Psalm 23 says, the Lord Yahweh is the good shepherd. And Jesus says, yes, I am the God of eternity. I am Yahweh. I am the God of Israel. I am the God of the 12 tribes of Israel. I am the one who has no beginning and no ending. I am the one who meets my people in their predicament, who sees with compassion when they're going through all kinds of things in life to fill those gaps in their life, when I'm the one who will lead them to feed and to feast. We serve a merciful God, church. Jesus satisfies our longings. And what I love what he does here, he takes a physical image to convey a spiritual truth. And he's done it throughout the book of Mark. If you remember, earlier in Mark, Jesus sees a man who is paralyzed, whose friends let down from a rooftop. And Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven, a spiritual truth. And the religious leader is saying, who do you think you are to forgive sins? And Jesus says, what's harder, to tell a paralyzed man to walk or to forgive sins? But to show you that I have authority over all things, he tells the man, stand up and walk. He healed the man physical to show the spiritual truth that Jesus can forgive. When the disciples are on the sea and the storm is coming, there's a storm there, physical, to convey a spiritual truth that Jesus will calm us in the midst of it. Here, the people are hungry, physical, and Jesus feeds them to convey the spiritual truth that he feeds our greatest longings. The miracles in the Bible aren't simply there to show off that God is powerful, although he does that. 
but it'll convey a truth that's far deeper. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the God of this universe who meets you in your physical place and to show you that I meet you in your spiritual one. The longings in your life can only find satisfaction through Jesus. Some of you are tired. You've been working so hard. And you're just saying, God, where is the rest? I went on vacation, and I'm more tired than before I left. And Jesus is saying, find the green grass and take a seat. Sit in my presence. Feast upon my word and find rest for your soul. Last week, I called the church. I called us to, in this next season, to take time to fast and to pray. The Bible's teaching on fasting is to abstain from food or other kind of things for a spiritual purpose. And that that call still remains in these weeks and months ahead. Let's be fasting and praying for each other as a church, for people in our lives, for people who need Jesus, for circumstances and situations and scenarios. But let's also pray for the brook that God would advance this message into this community as we seek to multiply and have two worship services in October and five real community groups in September because we want to increase the influence of the gospel into this neighborhood. And so let's fast and to pray. And I love how this passage reminds us that the greater need for the people was their spiritual longing, their spiritual food that they had. And that's what fasting tells us. Yes, the physical food we needed to live If you fast long enough, you'll die. So ultimately, we've got to eat. But the hunger that fasting creates reminds us of the spiritual hungers that we have. See, fasting without faith is famine. You're just hungry. But fasting with faith is feasting. You've satisfied with God. And here in this passage, we see how Jesus tells the flock, to feast upon his word, to feast upon his teaching and find satisfaction in him. Jesus meets us in a place of hunger. Now, I mentioned the disciples, and one thing I love about the book of Mark is we see them really messing up a lot. And it's hard to not see ourselves in that place. Many a times in my life where I'm like, God, send it away. God, don't you see how big this obstacle is? My faith begins to waver. And so I believe God places stories like these in the Bible to remind us that, yeah, there are times our faith wavers, but don't remain there. Let God build it up. Grow in him. Trust in him. And this is what he calls us to today. This is what he puts on our hearts. The disciples misunderstood Jesus' mission. He's a shepherd. They didn't see his identity, that he is God himself. And surely they wouldn't understand his power. But here Jesus puts that all on display. Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. So I want to ask you, what's God telling you today? How's he telling you to trust him? Is there an obstacle in your life right now that feels so enormous and you're just having the hardest time taking a seat and trusting God with it? Maybe there are past failures and regrets. Maybe there are financial burdens. Maybe there are life choices, things on the horizon, and it just feels so consuming, and you just want to melt away. What is it that God's telling you to do? What is the shepherd whispering in your ear? And will you hear his voice? 
And will you respond to him and cease wandering and stop trying to figure things out for yourself? He has compassion on us, church. Same kind of compassion he calls us to have on others. And we live life together in this walk of discipleship. God's going to use us to be that voice, to speak his truth and to feed his flock, as he tells Peter to do, feed my sheep. So God has placed this call on our lives. So today we have a choice. Are we going to keep wandering about through life's challenges and predicaments? Are we going to keep going to alcohol, to smoke, to sex, to money, to the pursuit of things that won't bring us satisfaction Are we going to say, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done with seeing things through my fleshly eyes. Let me receive you and your goodness and your mercy and your help and walk in that power today. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he will make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters for his namesake. Let's pray, church. God, we want to be the kind of people that hear from you. God, we want to be the kind of people who don't play games, Lord. God, we don't, we don't want, Lord, just to keep faltering and falling on our faces, thinking we have the answers when you're just saying, I'm right here. So, Lord, increase our faith today, I pray. Remove the scales from the eyes that have prevented us from seeing you and the holy interruptions, yet the necessity for rest and your power at work. Help us see these things, Lord. And Father, may we as a church know how to help each other in this journey. May we as a church feel a burden for people who we see wandering about as sheep without a shepherd. And God, may we just feel that weight to show people about our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. We are yours, O oh God. We are yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To us and to move in our lives. Uh, let's, let's rise to our feet, church. And before we, 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 uh, we sing, I just want us to, I want us to just set our hearts aright. Maybe you're going to close your eyes and just let God speak to you. In what ways is the Good Shepherd talking to you today? Prayer team, would you come forward and go to the back? And even now in the stillness here, ask God, God, what, what are you telling me right now? God, how are you calling me to trust you? God, how am I going to other things in my life, even unknowingly? God, where am I lacking faith? Just asking you to get rid of the situation, but not trusting you in the midst of it. God, where do I need to trust you to show up in the most miraculous of ways? So let's just ask Let's ask him to teach us and talk to us. We have our prayer team here who wants to pray with you, who wants to gladly carry your burdens you feel and you face.
So during this next song, if God is moving your heart to pray, just come forward to one of the prayer team leaders or to the back. They're in the back as well. And let this final song be a, a prayer in our lives. Truly saying, God, we're surrendering everything we are to you. We're raising this, this white flag. We're trusting you to feed our soul and our heart. So let's cry out together. You stood before creation. 